Well, hi, and welcome to The Christian Contrast, where we talk about how walking with Jesus leads us to live differently than the world around us. And I'm very excited to be doing this episode with Hunter Gray, our newest pastor on staff here, pastor of outreach in college. You're dressed up and ready to go to the beach with some college students in just a little while. Embracing the beach life. <laughs> That's right. Enjoying Southern California. Yeah. Now, now, just before we get into the, the topic that we're going to talk about, which has to do with evangelism, um, you're newer to our staff. Obviously, you come by way of Tennessee in an ultimate sense, but mm-hmm. um, maybe you can just share a little bit. You have spent the last chunk of your life overseas in some different places. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, our topic today is relational evangelism, and I have taken that to heart in my life. Um, really, since salvation, all I've really wanted to do is is communicate to others the hope I have in Jesus. And God has used that passion to lead me to places where uh, the gospel just isn't there. Um, and so I'm looking at these people and I'm saying, how will they know, you know, if someone doesn't go and tell? Um, so the Lord has you know, blessed me with the ability to go to places like Japan and Kosovo and spend significant time there with those people um, trying to share the good news of Jesus with them. Absolutely. And and as you mentioned, the topic that we're going to talk about is relational evangelism. Now, I, I heard somebody say years ago, um, every Christian feels like there's at least two things that they don't do enough, mm. praying and evangelism. It's like, there's no Christian that's like, I'm nailing these two areas of life. So for some of us, when we think of evangelism, we might think of a big rally or public speaking, or some might even think of sort of like, door to door or walking up to a random person. Maybe as we get into this topic, you can just talk a little bit about what are we talking about when we're talking about the idea of relational evangelism? Yeah, I mean, I kind of think the words explain it pretty well. It's this idea that we are trying to relate to another on a just a real personal level, build a genuine friendship with them, actually show genuine love to them and say, hey, you're someone I just want to be a friend to. Uh, or family to, depending on who it might be. And because of that, because I have a heart of love for you, I need to share with you the most important thing about who I am. I need to share with you what I think is the greatest gift I can give to you. Um, and so it's organic. Um, you know, Like you said, you know, a lot of people think of evangelism as rallies or this kind of knocking on doors to strangers and kind of accosting them with the gospel. And, and it can be intimidating when you think of it that way. Um, there's a a movie from the 1960s that's kind of a parody on that idea uh, I got to watch in seminary, and it was kind of profound. Uh, these good-hearted Christians, they were thinking, how do we reach our city for Christ, right? And the thing that, that won the day was a big event, and their event was, we're going to rent a blimp, and we're going to fly that blimp over the city, and then we're just going to just drop, you know, gospel tracks like cluster bombs in the city, <laughs> you know, and so everybody's going to have a gospel track. It's going to be great. The word's going to get out. And while their intentions were good, um, you know, they found, if you watch through the whole video, that it was very ineffective, right? The blimp was there. People looked up. People, you know, saw what was coming down, but there was no real fruit that they could see. And then they contrast that with this idea of another Christian from their church, who went over to their neighbor's house and said, hey, we'd just love to invite you over for dinner. We'd love to have a relationship with you. Come over, we're having a barbecue. And that, over time, began to build this relationship with this new person that they just genuinely brought into their circle. And as they did that, 
they had conversations about what they care about, right? Like I know you love the Dodgers, <laughs> you know. I know you love baseball, and so you're going to naturally talk about that with others. Like, did you see the game last night? Let's do that. Well, you know, I also know you love Jesus, and so I'd love to think that that also comes out in conversation just organically, right? When people get to know me, they have to get to know Jesus to understand me. And so that's where that core of relational evangelism comes from. Um, and I think it can be very disarming. Um, and it can be just a genuine act of organic love to another to just say, hey, my name's Hunter Gray. If you want to get to know me, let me tell you a little bit about Jesus because I imitate my entire life based on who he is. Yeah. And, and I think it, it makes a lot of sense. When, when we think of the overall witness to the world, that's wanting to reach our community and, and ultimately reach the nations with the message of Jesus, that there are corporate elements to that. Like even just existing as a church that has a public witness is one of those things that puts the gospel into the community and, and gives sort of a, at least an implicit invitation to come and be a part of what Jesus is doing through us. But I think especially in the culture that we're living in now, I think um, the United States used to be a, a, a context where um, the evangelistic rally, and I'm not saying that there's no value to an evangelistic rally today, but um, because there was a greater shared context, because many people had at the very least grown up with um, maybe their default setting was, yeah, I'm not thinking about God in general, I'm thinking about Jesus specifically, where I grew up in church and now I've got away from church. Uh, a lot of those things are sort of calling back to people that already have some sort of context for the gospel, for Jesus. I'm sure there are some exceptions to that, but but there's a lot of, you know, either prodigals coming home or people that have had exposure to the gospel finally embracing it. In the culture that we're in right now, where there's fewer people, still a lot, but fewer people that really have something to come back to as far as that, it makes sense to say the journey to embracing Jesus is probably going to be longer and more complicated because they're not just coming back to saying, hey, I've always kind of known this was true and suspected this was true, but I sowed my wild oats and wanted to do some things, and now I'll come back to it. It's more that we're saying this is somebody who maybe is assuming, All right, maybe Christianity has some good things, but so does Islam, so does Buddhism, so does Hinduism, That this sort of equalization of all the religions, or just the secularization of the United States, in particular Southern California, as compared to some other parts of the country. So in many ways, to, to me, it's like, gosh, this makes sense that we would think if people are really going to make a life-changing commitment, it's probably not going to be through pure information exchange. Mm -hmm. It's going to be through at least one and maybe several people that they have personal relationships with and can ask those real questions to. Yeah, absolutely. You gave a really great point there. Um, so I love evangelistic rallies. I love all forms of evangelism. I'm always going to encourage someone to do all the things. Um, but what are we going to think about gives us the greatest chance for true listening ears and a true open heart to the gospel. And in my experience, relational evangelism has really been uh, just a tremendous tool to use. And, and it's not just a tool. Like, you genuinely love these people. And I want to stress that because it doesn't work if it's just a kind of a bait-and-switch approach. Um, Jesus gives us all the motivation in the world to love our neighbor and to even love our enemy, right? We love because he first loved us. And so that's all we need, really, to go and look at a stranger and say, I love you. How can I help you? How can you be my friend? Right? Um, and so Jesus puts the idea of 
salvation and spreading the gospel in kind of the context of agriculture, right? He, he calls it a harvest, and he says we are out to go and plant seeds, right? And so our job, you know, our great commission responsibility is to plant the seed. Um, God's the one that makes it grow, um, but we plant the seed. And how many times, if you look back in your life, was that seed planted before mm. growth occurred, right? And so evangelism rallies could be that first seed for someone, um, but for many, they really need a person who loves them, who loves the Lord and says, I've watched this person live out the Christian life. I've watched this person make decisions I wouldn't make because of their faith in Jesus. I've watched this person love me better than even my own family because of the motivation they have to follow Jesus. When we were in um, some Muslim-oriented countries and we had Muslim background believers, we would ask them, well, what was it that drew you to Christianity? Hmm. Nine times out of ten, it said, I've never had someone love me as well as the Christians loved hmm. me. And that's what opened the door for them to say, is there merit to who Jesus is? Is this worth following? Is he someone I want to imitate? And it's that, that love, that sincerity. Uh, it's being the ambassador to Christ, right? He asked us to be his ambassador, to imitate him, to reflect who he is. And that's attractive. That's valuable, right? Because he is, you know, the perfect example of how we are meant to be. Um, and so the more we can imitate him in that, we're going to get listening ears. Yeah. And so, so here's, here's the person I want to envision right now. Um, may, maybe the, the person listening to this, I, I feel like a lot of people, there, there are going to be some people who are in the place of um, they are more aggressively speaking the message of the gospel and less aggressively creating personal, meaningful connection like you're talking about. So, so I don't want to ignore that, that there's that population out there. I would say in my experience, the bigger population um, is those who would, who would listen to what you've just described and would say, I've got no argument with it. Like, I have nothing to say. Like, this makes sense. I believe that that's good. I believe I should do it. Um, but feel a little bit stalled and stalled at a specific point. And the point may be that they're saying, all right, I have cultivated a um, connection with my coworker, you know, with my next door neighbor, with um, another parent, our kids play sports together, something like that. Like, all right, I've cultivated that connection. We have a good rapport. We talk. They know that I care about them. You know, we, we have that. And the hitch is just, I, I, I haven't brought up Jesus yet, mm -hmm. you know? They know that they might even know, hey, I, I, if they got sick, I would bring them a meal. Or if they need to move, I would like that, that there really is. And that the person, sometimes I, I feel like those of us, and I would include myself in this, that, that have, a, have trouble with that next step of bringing up Jesus, mm -hmm. that we did say like, well, I'm just going to show them Jesus through my actions. Mm -hmm. That's like, yes and no, because we do want there to be a point where, like you said, to say, how can how can we really have a relationship with them without Jesus coming into this? If Jesus is our Lord and the most important reality in our lives, so maybe just in a practical level, saying we've got people that are not rebellious and hard-hearted, like no, I'm not going to bring up Jesus, but just feel like I I don't know how to do this, and I feel like if I did it, it would be super awkward. Where we're like, yeah, we're playing pickleball, hey Jesus, <laughs> and, and we don't want to do that. So so do you have some thoughts on just a person that feels stuck at that mm -hmm. point? Yeah, absolutely. Some of you may have heard this like quote that got popular, you know, some time ago. Is like preach the gospel, use words if necessary. And it's that idea where you know, as long as our lives exhibit Jesus, 
we don't have to do the hard thing. And that's really what it comes right. down to. People don't want to do the hard thing, which actually communicate the message. But I don't buy that quote for a second. I don't think it's biblical. I don't think it's accurate. I would say preach the gospel both in word and deed. The deed gets you access to the word, I think. I think mm-hmm. that's one thing to approach. As we love, we gain the respect. We gain the willingness for someone to listen. And if you've had a relationship with someone for some time, I look at that as the opportunity. Like you've built relational capital with that person. You have shown them in your character, especially if you've been living for the Lord, that you know there's weight to what you have to say. And so there, then it comes to the time, where's the icebreaker? How do you get into that mm-hmm. conversation? And our first encouragement would be, would be simply to begin to pray. Say, Holy mm-hmm. Spirit, I really want a natural segue into sharing the gospel with this person. I don't think I've ever had that prayer unanswered, <laughs> you know, because that's a prayer of faith, and that's a prayer that God knows He's you're going to have to act on. It's not something that's necessarily self-centered, right? Mm-hmm. It's saying, okay, this is going to be hard for me, Lord, but I want to share the gospel with my mother. I want to share the gospel with my sister, whoever it may be. Can you give me a natural segue in our conversation? Nine times out of ten, you're going to see maybe that person says, you know, I'm really struggling with this right now. And you're like, well, can I share with you a little bit about the Bible and how it might say to deal with that? There's your segue, mm-hmm. right? Um, and another just kind of, I think this is one is if you just don't know what to do, start here, would just be your testimony. Hmm. That's the perfect entry to say, hey, listen, I've known you for a little while, and it's just been on my heart to share with you what Jesus has done in my life. And so you're not coming at them with a sermon. You're not coming at them with, you know, let me teach you the Ten Commandments. You know, but you're saying, hey, Jesus profoundly changed my life, and as we grow our relationship, I just need to tell you how I found Him and how you can too. Um, your testimony is your own. It's your experience with God, and so it's, it matters. It's significant, and the people who love you want to hear that. They really do. Um, and you know, they may not necessarily agree it's for them at that time. That's for the Holy Spirit to work, but nine times out of ten, no one's going to be like, no, I don't want to hear how you got saved if they're one of the people that you've loved well. Um, so I would say start there. Pray, ask the Holy Spirit for an opportunity, and to be prepared to share your testimony with them. Be prepared to say, this is how I came to faith. I just want you to know that. Um, you know, one of the things that kind of happened in my life um, that's been, you know, it's a traumatic catalyst, but something that, you know, I took very seriously was, you know, my father passed away unexpectedly. And my relationship with him, um, just the way we grew up because of some things, we didn't really talk about spiritual matters very much. And uh, as deeply as I love Jesus, he was probably the hardest person for me to bring up Hmm. Christianity to. Um, And not because he didn't believe. It was just the way our relational dynamic was. But I always wanted to be able to have more relationship with him that, that we could say, Dad, I want you to pray for me, you know, like... You know, what's your testimony? I want to hear, you know, these kind of things. It was just, it was difficult for me. And when he passed, um, there was a moment where I was like, well, I just don't know where my dad was in his mm. faith. And I'll praise God um, through the funeral and through some people reaching out to me, I was able to see a lot of evidence of his faith. I was able to see him take genuine steps of faith through these testimonies of others. And I treasure those experiences. Mm. But what that experience taught me was, have I even shared the gospel with my family? Like the people who love me the most, the people who know who I am, like they know I'm a missionary, they know I'm a pastor, like these are the people who would expect me to talk to them about Jesus, right? 
I was like, have I talked to even my sister, my, my aunt, you know, my cousins about Jesus? Because they will listen. Mm. And that was what was reality. I could just walk up to them and tell them about anything. And so I kind of started making it my goal from that point on to say, even if I know these people are believers, I need to share with them my story about who Jesus is. I don't want a single person in my family to end their time in this world without me having that conversation with them. Even if I know they're strong Christians, right? My aunt is a wonderful Christian, but I'm like, I need to tell her about Jesus, right? I need to have that conversation just as a part of our relationship. Mm. Um, and so that was something that inspired that to me. And maybe that inspires it to you before it's too late for someone in your family to say, hey, this is the most important thing about it, me. My kids deserve to know that. You know, my mother deserves to know that. My sister deserves to know that, right? Fill in the blank, whoever that might be. Um, Go and just share that with them. And the simple prompting is, hey, I love you. I need to share this with you. I feel compelled to share this with you because I think you need to know this about me. Yeah. And let that be where that moment starts. Yeah. And that, and that is good. I mean, like you were saying, sometimes just being up front and being straightforward in a disarming way mm-hmm. can be fine. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think sometimes we are looking for that perfect, like, segue to happen and sometimes just being gently initiatory with it could be, especially if it's a long-term relationship. Um, I think one of the things that a friend shared with me years ago is he he talked about something that he would call faith flags. And the whole idea he he would talk about um, throughout the week, we have the opportunity to throw up faith flags. And what he meant by that was just in casual conversation to get to mention, you know, uh, I was at church this last week, or, you know, I was reading the Bible, just something that are, that sort of is putting the subject out there. And one of the things that I found is that there have been times that that has then created the opportunity for later on for the actual conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, when somebody's asking, you know, if you're talking to a coworker and they're saying, what did you do this weekend? And one of the things involves, oh, well, we, you know, we had our church service on Sunday and this happened or, you know, it can be very natural. They're not going to be like, don't talk about church. They ask you about your weekend. You, mm-hmm. you know, it's okay to talk about. And, and I found that there has been a number of times that people have come back later on and said, hey, you, you mentioned this. It's not necessarily the people that I would assume, mm-hmm. but sometimes it is. Like, it's, it's funny. I have a neighbor who um, at this point um, has sort of very politely um, is definitely at the point where he's not interested in coming to our church or, or really having a deeper conversation about Jesus. But almost every time that we talk, when we're out because we're both mowing the lawns or something like that, he asks about how things are going with the church, which to me is very interesting because he's begun to associate this with me. And I was even just, this morning I was praying for him, um, maybe because I knew we were gonna record this and I was thinking through in my mind, who are the people God has placed in my life? And uh, I just started praying that, that God will do something that will prompt him to want more. Mm. You know? And sometimes it's like, well, if there's a trial, he'll want more. And I'm like, well, I don't know that I'm wanting to pray for suffering in his life. Maybe he'll just be struck with the ways that God has been really kind to him. And that will make him say, maybe I want to know God. He's been so generous to me. Um, but, but yeah, I've had other times where the a guy that I coached soccer with for a couple of years, you know, knew that I was a pastor and... You know, I'd sown some seeds for some years and um, he and his wife ended up bringing up the conversation to me and Karina at one point when we were at a soccer bank, which is saying, 
how did this happen? How does how does somebody become a pastor? Hmm. And it created this great gospel opportunity for us to be able to do that right there with them. And so I think there are ways where, you know, Gary Keith, when he was here on staff, would would talk about the the whole concept of looking for people in the red zone, which which was just a shorthand way of saying there's people that seeds have already been sown, that they're at a point where God is already at work. And, and you're able to see like, hey, I'm not starting at ground zero here. Like that these are people who are really interested in these conversations and that that can even be a gauge of saying, all right, focus some prayers, focus some attention here, because this person is, is showing some responsiveness to the idea of saying, I, I think I want to know more about Jesus. I think I want to know more about the gospel. And so maybe as a next question, just even talking there, um, probably a lot of people listening to this, they got the people in their minds, like you said, members of the extended family, maybe immediate family, neighbors, coworkers, friends from school. Um, what if somebody's listening to this and they're saying, it's not that I don't know anyone, but I don't sort of, I, I don't know where to start. I don't know where to focus here. or I don't know um, how to discern. Or maybe even somebody is saying like, very plugged in with the church. I don't really have non-Christian friends or non-Christians in my life. What would be some thoughts that you would have of just how to try to start cultivating those relationships that could provide the context for that kind of evangelism? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. Um, and one of the things in your story that I want to point out and stress is um, who we are, right? Who we are matters. And, and as we start thinking about new relationships, breaking a new ground, um, I want to encourage everyone listening to think about themselves as a Christian first, you know, a whatever fill-in-the-blank second, right? I'm a Christian before I'm an accountant. I'm a Christian before I'm a pastor. You know, I'm a Christian before all other things. It's my identity. And let that start to transform how you introduce yourself, how do you interact with these new people that you meet. Um, and so you got to talk to a friend just through soccer because you identified yourself as a pastor, right? Well, you don't have to be a pastor just to have that leverage, right? You, As you get to know someone, just let that come out first. Let that be just something that they know. It doesn't have to be you know, oppressive. You don't have to go and just beat them over the head with a Bible. But you can say, hey, you know, I'm a Christian. I love the Lord. Um, I find great meaning in that. And, and let that be it for that initial conversation, right? So they have that in their head to say, oh, you know, well, maybe he has an answer to something I've always wondered. Um, and I've had something similar happen to me. You know, I used to work construction, and a lot of those guys who work construction, you know, they're in and out because they've got some, you know, lifestyle issues and... Um, they knew, everyone in my construction knew that I was the Christian of the group, right? I was very bold about that. Um, they knew that I lived differently than they did on the weekends. Um, and they also knew that I would listen to them when they had problems. And so these are men who are very far away from the Lord um, from all kind of worldly perspectives. But they're like, you know what, Hunter? Hunter has answers. Hmm. Hunter will listen. Hunter loves me like the rest of the staff does it, you know, those kind of things. And so I'd have them come to me with some of the deepest, darkest things. And I'm like, you barely know me. <laughs> but honestly, I'm the only person in your life that would listen. And that's powerful. And actually, I, I know you got more to say, but just even what you said right there, there, there really is a shortage of people who are willing to listen. Like I think what you just said there is really significant. In building a bridge, if people feel like this person actually listens and engages and cares about me, that alone 
can build a huge bridge. Yeah, absolutely. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, start with your identity as Christ first, um, and these conversations will come more organically and more naturally just over time, mm-hmm. right? And so I, I want to stress that a lot. Um, when you're starting to think about how do I engage my sphere of influence, that's what I like to say. You know, I have a sphere of influence. Everyone's sphere of influence is unique. Um, you know, and you may think, well, I don't know one. I can't have influence over anybody. You do. You know, you do. Hmm. You have influence over your children. You have influence over your parents. You have influence over your siblings, over your coworkers. You may not think it's enough, but you have it. There are people in your life who are more willing to listen to what you have to say than what I have to say or what Pastor Dan has to say, just because of who you are to them. And I really believe God has ordained those people to be in your life for one of the primary reasons is evangelism. And so start thinking about it that way, to say, hey, Lord, let me just write down a list of all the people who are close to me, all the people who I think if I call them up, they would listen to what I have to say. And that's your start. Those are the names. Those mm-hmm. are the people you begin praying for the Holy Spirit to say, I want an opportunity. Let's start here. Um, you know, I think all of us, if we'll do that exercise, actually start putting it on the paper to say, these are the people who will listen to me. Um, about anything, right? About a Dodgers game, about Christianity, about anything. Like, these are the people who listen to me. Let me write those down, and let me begin praying for them by name. And let me start thinking about my identity as Christ first in my conversations with them. And I think at that point, the only thing keeping you for an opportunity to share the gospel is yourself. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's your fear, and I get it. It's scary. Um, but there's a point of faith here. There's a point where we have to step out and say, I need to be obedient to what Christ has called me to do. And every opportunity that you pray for, there'll be a moment where you can pull back. You know, the Holy Spirit doesn't normally force our hand in this stuff. He wants us to go in faith. And when we go in faith, He moves. Um, And not only is that helpful for Him, for that person you're trying to reach, it's also helpful for you. Absolutely. That's how your faith grows. And let me tell you a secret about evangelism. Most people think it's a fear-inducing thing. It's actually a joy-producing thing. Yes, there's always fear associated with it. I understand that. But as you step out in faith, you start to see God move. You start to see God work in miraculous ways and supernatural ways. And you start to say, wow, what is better than helping someone enter the kingdom of God, enter the family of God, right? I know no greater, no greater joy than that. Um, and so even from a selfish perspective, if you yeah. want to think about it that way, um, you know, God doesn't ha- necessarily say everything has to be altruistic, right? You know, there's benefit to both, and, and God gives joy for those who follow Him in obedience like this. He gives joy to them because they are pursuing what God's created them to be. So I just want you to try me on that, right? <laughs> get, get the fire. Let, let me challenge you a little bit to say, what would it be like to experience the fact that someone is in eternity with God because I took this step of faith to share the, the gospel with them, to share the good news of Jesus. And let me stress that, because we have fear, and I get it, but this is good news. Hmm. This is good news. This is the most loving act that you can do for someone. And if you remember anything of this podcast, let it be that, that to share with them the hope of Jesus is the most loving thing you can do for them. Right? And we want to be loving people and present the gospel in that way. And it won't be as offensive as you can present it in other ways, right? So say, I have a gift for you, and it's a gift that will change your eternal destiny. And I think anybody's going to be willing to listen to that. Yeah, and, and I do love that because you're right. For many of us, I, I think maybe even, and, and I think this is a good corrective what you just shared, we can think of, um, we think of the fears 
and we think, well, if I could just overcome these obstacles, um, you know, the, the fear of being awkward, the fear of not having all the answers, which again, not, none of us do that, you know, you're not feeling an evangelism if eventually they come up with a question and you're like, well, I'm not quite sure. Let's, you know, let's do some research. Let me read a book. Let me check YouTube. You know, I don't know, maybe not YouTube all the time, but you know, <laughs> let, 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 let's see what we can do with that. But I think maybe sometimes we're sort of like, all right, if I can just get enough, like, help in these negative things, I can get the the motivation to push through the deep difficulty of this instead of really looking at the positive um, side of it. I know I, at different times I've, I've tried to say to my sons when there's been something, some way that it's like, all right, you're going to be doing something that's uncomfortable for you. You know, it's like we automatically think of all the ways it can go wrong. Mm -hmm. We're just like, oh, I could fail. I could be embarrassed. You know, I, I could be unliked, things like that. And to say, well, want to spend a little bit of time thinking of the great things that could happen if you did this, mm. you know, like even with food, sometimes I'll tell the boys like you, it's possible that your favorite food of all time is still something you haven't tasted yet. So instead of being like, ah, oh, this could be really bad. This could be really good. I think maybe if we spent more time meditating on the beautiful things that could come through us, we reach out in the faith instead of meditating on the horrible ways that it could go wrong and that we could be inadequate that might be something that would help us. And so I, I think even with that, what, you know, what you've said, we, we've talked about prayer, which is always why I was praying for the people, praying for opportunities. We've talked about just looking at the sphere of influence, talked about some practical ways, whether it's through faith flags or through just very straightforward, hey, I, I'd love, you know, I know you care about me. I want to share with you the most important thing about me to do that. But maybe on top of that is just saying, you know, prayerfully spend time meditating on, reflecting on the beautiful, joyful things that could come through this process instead of just focusing on the ways that it can go wrong and trying to overcome those. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a good word. And maybe my hope in this conversation is that we can start shifting our, our thoughts about evangelism from a duty that God wants us to do to a delight that we get to partake mm -hmm. in, right? This is a joy-producing activity, and it is what the Lord wants us to be doing here on our time on earth. And one thing I want to stress to everyone here is that we think about our role as Christians, right? What are we supposed to do, right? What's the chief end of man, right? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever, right? But as we think about how do we do that practically on earth, there's one thing that we get to do here that we won't get to do for all of eternity. There's one, like, God-glorifying activity, if you will, that brings honor to Him and worship to Him, and that's joy-producing for us that we don't get to partake in in eternity in heaven. And that one thing is evangelism. Mm -hmm. We have a short period of time as believers here on this earth before we get to go to heaven with the Lord that our primary job, I think there's time sensitivity to this, there's a sense of urgency to this, is to say, this is our chance to bring as many people with us. <laughs> you know, this is our chance mm -hmm. to follow in the Great Commission goals that, that Jesus has put forth, to say, let's make these disciples, let's bring God's family together, because we don't get to do this in heaven. We don't get to do this in eternity. We only get to do this now. So there's a joyful sense of urgency in that, to say, let's, let's focus our lives on this idea, because we'll have eternity to share in the rewards. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for those words, Hunter. And thanks for, glad you're a part of our team. Glad we get to talk about this. This won't be the last time this subject comes up 
in uh, future discussions that we have, not only on the podcast, but just around our church family. So thanks so much for taking the time to do this. Yeah, thank you. And I can't, I got to give a shameless plug. If you don't know where to start, come talk to me. (laughs) I've got lots of outreach opportunities and I can get you involved with people who don't know Jesus. Awesome. I love it. Well, thank you. And thank you, um, everybody who took the time to watch this or to listen to this. Thanks so much for taking the time to do that. We drop episodes of The Christian Contrast every two weeks. And so we love to have our contact interact, uh, content interacted with. We post all our videos on our website, lbf.church, and also on our YouTube page for Life Bible Fellowship Church. So if you go and ask questions or comment on those, I love to go back and check that and interact because we love to have that kind of engagement with the content that we're putting out. So thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode of The Christian Contrast.